Good evening, or good morning, or good night, how, as the case may be to any one of you, my friends. I should have just said hello. That's a much better umbrella greeting, which doesn't have any time zone implications when considering a global audience on this podcast. Saying global audience makes it sound like it's huge and transnational. The opposite is very much true. There's quite a small audience for this podcast. It's growing, though. It's slowly, slowly growing. It's going at about 12 listens per episode increasing, which sounds pathetic even as those words left my mouth. But it's still growth and it's still improvement and we all got to start from somewhere, right? So, yeah. So, before we get into this week's podcast, how about you be inundated with personal data? Yeah. Well, in two weeks, this humble host will be returning to Bali and I will be carrying on with that podcast over there. The show must go on. Guys, I really can't wait to broadcast from over there because, I don't know, the place seems to have this natural peace. There's peace and happiness molecules in the air. It's in the water, it's in the food, it's everywhere. It's very sacrosanct and it's just dripping in holiness. Honestly, it just seems to be like such a malleable effort to be stressed or worried out there, you know? And you don't want to be stressed or worried. That's an effort that you don't want to do. You don't want to make that effort. I am terrified of flying still. I'm not looking forward to that part. But the more and more I think about it, it's an essential part of the trip. I don't think I can get there without the flying element. So I'm going to have to be brave. In order to placate that fear, I have been stocking up on the most spectacular CBD gummies I've ever come into experience with yet. So far, these are the best ones. They hit that balance. And you know, like with some CBD edibles, you ingest them and instantaneously you can feel the compound taking over your body and psyche and you feel like you're being held hostage or something and then a few hours later you're curled up in your bed thinking that you're receiving transmissions from a distant galaxy these edibles are not like that like these cbd gummies are ethereal they are beautifully balanced and you will feel Every, you, it's not about what you feel, it's what you don't feel. You don't feel fear, you don't feel worry, you don't feel anxiety. So go check them out. It's at a website called patchadam.com, which is really easy to remember, patchadam.com. So anyway, we have a beauty of a podcast today with the magnificent Miriam Trahan. Miriam is a breathwork coach and she spent 30 years exploring the frontiers of consciousness and working with energy fields. And she's really good at articulating spiritual technology of breath and meditation um, and explaining their power and their ability to uplift us into a changing world, which is basically what it's all about. If we can't get that across to people, then people won't have access to things like this. And this, this shit is free, man. So why not right it's a free sample she also has her own podcast called miriam's meditations which is very humbly titled where it's recorded usually live with a group of meditators from another beautiful place on earth the transcendent paradise known as maui that's in hawaii so yeah 
It was a pleasure to meet her and I really liked this conversation. Breathing is an interesting thing. Sometimes I thought, is it good to do a podcast just based on breathing breath work? Is this just so mundane and plain that it just doesn't induce interest for people? But I find it quite interesting and I've learned over the past few years from teachers just like Miriam that breathing can actually be intentional, not just automated or unconscious. So once we start looking at breathing as an intentional thing, you can work with it differently. And many of us these days aren't particularly happy anymore, you know, but we should be elated these days. You know, we have in our pockets this rectangle, which is probably the most addictive thing ever to be invented, but is also basically just the Library of Alexandria in our pocket. It's an amusement park of endless dopamine hits. And yet, the levels of stress and disconnection and isolation within people these days is at pandemic levels, man. So anything anything that can help you reduce any of that stuff to me is a good thing. Studies are showing this stuff, like more and more people are just, just tense, you know, we're more tense than ever and we opt for escapism more and more than ever. And why? Why is the question? This is a strange juxtaposition to be in a time of such abundance. Um, to be alive and existing in a time of it's arguably the most affluent sort of time we've ever had as humans probably, then why the fuck are we so stressed all the time and burning out? What you'll learn in this episode is conscious breathing or intentional breathing, you can interchange those words, can be an antidote to stress, anxiety and depression. Uh, and it's free. Well, like once you learn it and you master it because deep breathing is our nervous system's love language and we've misplaced it and shelved it and we're now taking it for granted. So let's take that back. Because many of us seem to be trapped in a consumeristic, materialistic haze where that we think that buying shit will somehow reduce the pain that we are feeling from knowing the fact that we are slowly being vaporized by time. And this is terrifying to us and we're not dealing with that. I don't know what it is with humans that we cannot see what is right in front of us. Like why does it seem to be a sort of joyless materialism interwoven into everything that we do and we just kind of take that, like we don't question changing the, the substrate or the, the, the base philosophy of the way we organize society and deal with each other and talk to each other and connect with each other. Like everything has to be explained in a way that says that we are separate, you know? Everything's separate, it's just matter here, there's nothing else, everything's mechanical. It can be explained in a way that isn't spiritual. Breathing cannot be a separate thing. It's undeniably linked to your nervous system. Breathwork is also besties with yoga, uh, which is another archaic technology, which is also free and effective and wholesome. Example, here's an example. So one, one of the way the teachers explain breathwork is that one single thought can change your breathing pattern. Like just one thought can actually alter your breathing pattern and your, the way you're breathing, which is also in turn affecting your oxygen intake and the quality of the breath also. And it's also gonna restrict the 
uh, full potential and capability of what the breath can actually do for the individual. And that's the danger zone, see. When done properly, breathing can rapidly change the response of the body's automatic nervous system, which controls unconscious processes such as your heart rate and digestion, as well as something that you might have forgotten about these days, which is something called your body's stress response. So did you get it? Does it make sense now? Like case study, you could be a 59 year old man, a CEO of some big pharma, big business, and suddenly you've got this problem being held ransom by ostensibly random panic attacks, sweating, scared, and looking like you're being interrogated in a room or something all of a sudden. There's no reason for these panic attacks to surface into our being, or as Richard Spira calls it, oh, sorry, Rupert Spira, forgive me, calls it, the content of experience. Because now whether it's depression, panic attacks, anxiety, or in my case, mood swings, the worst thing that you could possibly do is focus on the symptom and not address the cause. We drop into these zones of depression, panic attacks, anxieties, and we seem to have this weird form of amnesia when we're in these zones because we seem to forget that that's not what we are. This is just a passing, transient, intangible state that we're just being forced into. The ghost train ends. We drop into these zones of rage, for example, or maybe it's not a mental health neuroses or something like that. Maybe it's just an everyday emotion like rage or being slightly dismal about something or anger when someone cuts you off in traffic. Like, you won't apologise. Or we drop too easily into being stubborn, maybe, after you were the one who hurt your hurt the feelings of someone you love. You know, you don't apologise. And sometimes when they come back and they're upset and angry and they're telling you why you made them angry, you have the audacity to be upset and offended that you were the one that made them upset. And they're not even allowed time to grieve. They're not even allowed their time. They're not, they should be allowed time to have their little mini grieving session so they can rebuild and readjust and reconnect with you. Now, when you do breath work, sometimes you work on your trapped energy and it gets released. Why this happens, I don't know, but it's just the way that nature wants it to happen. It's natural. Sometimes, like when a tear comes to your eyes in those previous examples where you're getting angry in traffic or you're in an argument, you don't want to apologize, but sometimes when a tear comes to your eyes, when you're working on yourself using breath work technique or uh, clearing some chakra or something, you say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. I don't know where that came from. You apologize for the tears that come. How sad that we live in a society like that where we're apologizing for crying or if a tear comes, you know, it brings to mind the Oscar Wilde quote, we're living in a time where people know the price of everything, but the value of nothing. And that's very much where we are these days, you know, we seem to know the cost of everything, the financials, the fiscals, the investment, the loss, the projections and the net losses, blah, 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 blah. But knowing the value of something is very, very important because it allows you to prioritize and it allows you to live and maintain these symptoms that come out of our bodies, the, the depression, the pain, the grieving, the anxiety, these are like this, these are, this is like a fire alarm system, you know, and my fellow electricians out there will know that each fire alarm in a system is 
monitoring its own zone and those alarms all feed back to one panel. Now, when the alarm sounds, you don't immediately run to the alarm and try to fix it, right? No, you, you get the fuck out of the building because the alarm is doing its job, which is to alert humans that there's danger. So go, leave. Depression, panic attacks, anxiety, mood swings are just that, you know? It is your body urging you to call 911 if you're in America or 999 when you're in England or call the emergency services, whatever England, whatever country you are in. It's the equivalent to what breath work can do for the body, you know? You're calling in the emergency services to preserve what is beautiful and what has taken time to build up and what you want to keep alive. So if I have one message to try and get across from this podcast is to not continue living in fear or uh, um, a, a sort of weird hopelessness that things can't improve, things can always improve. And the amazing thing is that is sometimes with techniques that are just free and easy to master like this one. So people who have the most anxiety have also seen this with breathing exercises. They learn breathing exercises and they tend to have the biggest propensity to weep. Experts time it, like it takes sometimes three to five minutes for it to start and this can also occur when you undergo particular yoga movements to clear one's root chakra. We call it grounding ourselves. The root chakra is very important to keep healthy in, in one's mind because if you abandon it or you neglect it, then you can start feeling like you're not rooted, you're not grounded. If you're not rooted, you're not grounded, you can't be strong. So yeah, I love being a human being. Don't get me wrong, like I speak about this stuff. I love all of it. I love the pain, I love the suffering. I'm in the filth and the, the, the pain and the nettles. I love it, it's great. I love the confusion. I love the suffering, it's beautiful. I enjoy it, honestly. Some days I say, God, I want it to end, but I don't want it to end. But with breathing techniques, you will never regret slowly becoming more and more aware of your own breath because it's just so beautifully simple very natural and this non-aggressive thing which sinks you and your being back into alignment with one another and again the difference between being and your lived experience is something that we've only just scratched the surface on on last week's episode with Jake he was a great guy by the way you really want to go check out some of his guided meditations and he's got his own podcast also and he's going to be coming back on this show so we can expand more on stuff that based on what you guys have been sending me is something that you want to hear more about. So we're going to be doing that. Because um, it's just bloody interesting to be honest with you. It doesn't have to always be spiritual or philosophical. Breathing work can make you feel better in 10 minutes. No delays, no forms, no monetization, no requirements. This is a beautiful piece of antimatter right here to the bullshit that currently plagues modern day society. So don't panic, be happy. Because every day is a beautiful day. Every day is enough for another opportunity to reset it and apply different techniques in different ways. And we are fully programmable. We are fully malleable. This brain is neuroplastic. So understand that and give it some different operating systems. It doesn't have to be operating system of fear or, or worry or dread. And it's easy to feel like that, man. There's shit going on all around the world these days and there's just everywhere you look, there's no shortage of feeling dismal and lost. So rebalance those scales, baby. Re rebalance those scales. Please, 
please, please consider Miriam's wonderful, unique podcast, which is basically just a school to learn breathing exercises. And I have a motherly feeling with her. Like if you want a nice motherly maternal teacher guiding you all the way through that, then actually I'm shocked that she's letting this stuff out for free based on the other stuff that's out there. And I don't want to badmouth other teachers. I think a lot of teachers are doing great stuff. What they charge is what they charge. That's down to them. People also pay what they want to pay. But based on what's out there versus what I've seen on Miriam's podcast, um, or it is, it is a podcast, but it's also like a sort of um, guided meditation uh, class, actually. And you don't have to pay for that. So the links are going to be in the description below. Um, I don't want to get too wordy on this one. I just want to let this conversation flow. I would like to just end this intro with one quote from Max Strom, who is another breathwork protagonist. Some doors only open from the inside. Breath is a way of accessing that door. Guys, thank you for tuning back in and I'll see you on the other side. I like the I like the long breaks and the gasps and the the drawing in of the breath when we're contemplating something. I like that. The space for me is just it's I like that. It's comfortable. I, I agree. My my podcast is audio only and um, it is uh, yeah, that's you and I share that. So Miriam, it's lovely to meet you. I would be really happy if we could talk about breath work today and the difference between observing one's breath as opposed to just breathing does that make sense is that question yeah, structured it's okay it's a great question it's a it's a really nice line of inquiry and there's a lot to say about that shall i just launch in you go for it miriam this is a relaxed open conversational space great um well thanks for having me on it's really lovely to be here talking about breath um so the question is the difference between just observing the breath and doing breath work with um, exercises, specific exercises. Yeah. So observing the breath is a really excellent place to begin. If you're a complete beginner at using the breath as an object of meditative focus, um, even just to get in touch with your own physical breathing body as a way to center and calm come into an inner space. However, the breath exercises themselves, for example, alternate nostril breathing or a rib stretching breath or um, something very rapid that brings the breath in and out of the body rapidly are all very specific in terms of clearing energy from your field that no longer serves you. So for me, when I began breath practice, I didn't really know what it was. I just had the really great fortune to make the acquaintance of a breath teacher. And she sort of gathered me into her practice, seeing that I was a seeker who was looking for something more to bring my own practice up 
and I have a very busy kind of mind, as almost all of us do these days, mm. and had always had a bit of a challenge settling into meditation. And the breath practice, as it was taught to me, with these very specific exercises, which always starts with breath inquiry and, and observing the breath, but proceeding on to uh, more specific exercises, was such a lovely surprise because what happened for me in my experience was a lot of emotionality began to rise to the surface, old energy that was ready to clear um, and did so, cleared through the emotional release, sometimes through uh, just kind of a physical rush of energy, feeling a very strong uh, energy flowing through and then passing out of my, my energy field, leaving behind a very clear space. And what I came to understand over months and years of practice is that all of us have energetic residues left over from things that have happened to us, things that we couldn't process at the moment, um, things that we have actually been working on, but there's this lingering pattern in our energy field that still affects us. It's sort of like having some kind of weird software running in the background of your computer that kind of causes weird little glitches and you kind of notice them, but you just keep trying to work around them. <laughs> and without that disruptive nature of that energy, I was able to find this really clear, calm space inside of me that led to a proper meditation that felt... Uh, for the first time ever, like I had really arrived in a meditative state. And wow. I could hear my inner voice clearly. I could reach higher levels of consciousness. All that from breathing was really remarkable surprise. <laughs> yeah, it seems so beautiful and basic that we should all just learn to breathe a little bit. Just to expand on that. Uh, analogy used there with the old hidden energy which isn't serving us too well what is the risk of leaving that unaddressed and um, not exercising it out of one system does it sit there if no one deals it with it there but it's not it's not benign 100 it's not 100 percent benign what happened for me in my breath practice is that over time, I began to realize that I had emotional patterns that I was using in my day-to-day -day interactions with others. So let's say, for example, we had something of a disagreement. Well, for me, and I think this happens for, it's pretty universal, that this old pattern running in the background, this unresolved energy that had nothing to do with this current situation rears up and causes a kind of knee-jerk reaction, well, that's just how I am. Well, that's just the way things are. And so that I felt I was not emotionally current. I was not um, fully present with the person that I was with, and the interchange that we were having. I was dragging along all of this other unresolved energy that at the moment was invisible to me because it felt like that was just my personality. That was just how I am. Mm. And as I worked 
over the months and over the years and I just did my breath practice and all these things would come up to the surface and I would clear them and it would leave behind this ringing, beautiful, open space, I began to realize that I had never truly been current with my emotional body and that I had been dragging around with old patterns, some that I inherited from my parents, some from my culture, some from things that had happened to me that, um, that left that energy deposit, you could call it, in my system. And so I became more aware. I became more compassionate because I realized other people had this stuff too and that probably a lot of the unpleasant interchanges that I might have with others may have nothing to do with me, may have only to do with their unresolved things that they're dragging away. (laughs) Yeah, it takes one to know one. (laughs) It takes one to know one. It does. And I, from that stance, I realized it's, it's a kind of tenderness toward myself that these are this is part of being a human being in this epoch that we are finding ourselves incarnate in this is some of the work that we are doing and as we clear these emotional patterns especially ones that are inherited from our uh, emotional inheritance from our families that we have an opportunity to really clear this not only on behalf of ourselves but on behalf of all of humanity that once we have cleared these energy patterns, we are no longer carrying them around. We're no longer re-triggering them in our interactions. We're more present with our emotional well-being. And we are not re- reproducing them over and over and maybe even um, triggering other people who have similar patterns. So it became really clear this was very important work that made me feel a lot better and made my relationships a lot clearer and happier on the whole. Um, Mm. But it was work that I felt like was making a contribution to all of humanity. (laughs) Wow, what a statement. I relate to that, Miriam. I, you know, I'm not as deep into my spiritual practice as you appear to be but just from hearing you talk it sounds like you've nailed clearing that energy and utilizing these spiritual tools i guess you could describe them as spiritual tools Mm -hmm. in order to make yourself happier improve your own life and also just know yourself a bit better like the way you said when you're starting this work you're noticing that there was generational uh, bad energy there, there was energy absorbed from your family or relationships or upbringing, culture. And then you worked on yourself and you managed to clear it. What did it feel like when you sort of reclaimed your, your, en- your energy tanks, I suppose? I don't know another way to describe it, but you described it as a feeling of sort of bliss, um, which is a there's a universalism to the way that people describe it, especially when they attain um, a certain level of consciousness. And I'm just interested in things like spiritual tools like meditation and breathwork intersect with transforming oneself into an almost a new state of consciousness. It does take one to know one. I think, you know, the more you hang around with this sort of stuff, it's almost like you can gauge where someone seems to be on their spiritual journey. And... Um, I'm very interested in hearing your story about pre and post breath work. Well, pre breath work, I had an enormous amount of anxiety, um, a, 
a sense of being sort of out of place a lot, um, having to run very fast and work very hard to justify my own existence, a sense of never quite being enough uh, for the moment, for anything really, that there was not a solid sense of identity inside myself. Um, from my deeper layers, I understood my personality pretty well and, and got along um, in the outside world. Um, but w one thing you said about filling one's tanks, I think I wanted to address that. What I found was after I was practicing for a while, it became really clear how much energy it was taking to maintain all of this dysfunctional outdated patterns in my psyche and not just in my emotional body but in my mental body that it took a, a lot of energy to maintain scripts and belief patterns etc that were not really serving me and as I did the breath work and these things would rise to the surface I did some journaling um, I had a lot of strong emotional releases I came to understand some of my belief patterns were no longer I just didn't really believe that anymore. It's like, wow, I just don't even, that's not even really functional for me any longer. And um, that I felt was really, really useful work. And all of the energy I was using unconsciously, subconsciously to maintain um, patterning that I had inherited or developed that was no longer useful it's a, it's in a sort of way it's a kind of a zero sum formula if i have a hundred percent of my energy and let's say 50 percent of it is occupied with unresolved material then i have only 50 percent of my consciousness to bring to bear on my current life and I found that as I cleared these things one by one by one by one, and sometimes repeated some of them, I'd circle back. I'm like, oh, well, we're going to work on this at a new level now. I thought that was complete, but I guess not. Here it is again yeah. in my life. And that's really common. It sometimes has layers of like an onion or a spiral. If you're moving up on a spiral, if you circle mm -hmm. around, here it is again. But I began to find I had a lot more energy. I slept better. My anxiety diminished and, and eventually went away for the most part. I mean, sometimes life would present things that mm. uh, caused it to recur. But um, I had a clearer understanding of what was going on inside of me so that I had more tools that were truly useful, like the breath work, but also just being aware, being aware of how I was interacting in the world. I was able to get a little more honest and um, clarify how I was moving through the world, what sort of interactions I was creating with others, were they um, were they functional? Were, was I getting a good feeling from people? Was I getting a sense of who this other person was? Was I having functional relationships or was I just repeating old patterns? And those old patterns as they would come up. So when, when you're studying things like this, there's the old pattern that you know you're doing it. And you mm -hmm. keep doing it, and you're like, oh, I did it again. <laughs> I did it again. And then with a little bit of this kind of self-awareness, you get to the point where you're like, 
I'm about to do it again. I'm about, I know I did it again, but, <laughs> but you have a little bit of distance. There's a little bitty tiny space there space. where you realized you were going to do it. You did it anyway, but yeah. okay, now I'm, I'm aware. And that space gets a little bigger and you have a little more headway. You're like, oh, I'm about to do it again and I can make another choice. And sometimes I will choose the new path. Sometimes I will do the habitual thing that's really not serving me. But eventually, you just don't do it anymore because it really isn't serving you. Mm. And because you've invested in your own consciousness and you've invested in this type of work, you come to realize that you have more control over it than you once felt that you did. And you could... um, make different choices more and more easily. And then you get into the realm of momentum and you realize that these old patterns had a certain amount of momentum and they just triggered when the situation was right. But now you sort of tip the scales and your momentum is in this healthier path and you can make better choices for yourself and it becomes self propagating the new energy begins to build and it gets easier and easier and i tell people that you know when you're doing something like this in the beginning you do need a little discipline to just arrive in your practice Hmm. but after a while this new momentum begins to build and it's so rich and juicy and rewarding that you no longer need to be disciplined you want to do it because it (laughs) it has good results and your life starts to change in this positive way yeah, we uh, recently had a Vipassana meditation lady on this podcast and she'd been practicing since she was four. And we we agreed that a good word for it is home. Um, oh, it's the best sort of word that I can think of to describe it. You're right, not quite there yet in my own practice, but I'm st- I, I still require the discipline. I'm, I'm very undisciplined and chaotic, but you only need a glimpse of uh, the feeling that can be obtained once applying some of these techniques to realize that it's definitely something that uh, should be given a lot more attention. I don't know. I feel like the way we have a strata to describe people, you know, like their height and their personality type and their genetic makeup. And, you know, one day, the more and more we become aware of consciousness and get better and better at understanding it and spreading, just talking about it more and more, that it can be incorporated into everybody's lives. And then we will have a gauge of of measurement for that, for each individual, each individual, you know, I hope we, we would be able to say, okay, you know, this person needs to work more because their consciousness is just not serving them. It's such a broad umbrella term, consciousness, you know, it, it, it imbibes research from a sort of scientific point of view. And then there's, it's easy to attach, you know, words like just asleep and awake, you know, because of someone who may be unconscious. Mm-hmm. You know, there's also the connotation to it of just, I think the word awareness is almost synonymous with the word conscious, I think the way I think about it. So how long have you been doing this? How long have you had a meditation and uh, breathing practice in your life? Um, I started with the breath practice in 1995. 
and did that for, uh, studied with my teacher for about 10 years. And um, then she stopped teaching and um, I missed, I missed having a group to sit with. And so I began to teach the practice and study more broadly um, so that I felt really grounded in the, the scientific aspects of it, but as well as the uh, interior changes. And there's nothing like practice that really makes it, makes it real and gives you a basis, an experiential basis from which to share. And I'd like to say just a little bit about being in a group because the creating a meditative field is the kind of energy that your consciousness and your brain creates. And it's easier to recognize that field when you are with others who are skilled and practiced. Why is that? Just sorry, just to say, do you have any thoughts on that? I do. I do have, I have a lot of thoughts on that. I think that, um, it's my, it's my knowing and understanding that our interior private consciousness is not nearly as private as we in Western culture like to believe that it is. I think we are always broadcasting our thoughts, our emotions, our energy field. You know when a crabby person has walked into the room, even before you turn to see them and see mm. an expression on their face, you can feel the energy of someone who's out of sorts. In the same vein, you can feel the energy of someone who is peaceful and practiced a kind of um, equanimity of consciousness. And so that translates into a kind of group consciousness. And my experience in the group consciousness is that I never lose my individuality. I am never um, so swayed or lost that I feel uncertain of who I am. However, what I do feel is a, like augmentation. Our teacher describes it as a sharing of frequencies. You have frequencies that I do not have. I have frequencies that you do not have. However, they may seem familiar and recognizable. Mm -hmm. So when we sit in a group consciousness exercise <clears throat> like meditation or breath practice, I studied when I studied the breath practice, there were 35 or so of us in the room. And it was, it was a lot easier to attain the uh, facility with the breaths, doing it with other people, like an exercise class or yeah. a musical instrument. It's not any different from any of those things because there is a field of energy. If you're playing in an orchestra with a whole bunch of other instruments, it's not just the sound or the, the skill of the instrumentalists, but the energy of the piece that you're bringing together. Everyone has practiced their part, and then the conductor comes and brings everyone together, and this incredible new thing comes into being that was never before those musicians playing that piece of music. Very similar to sitting together in a meditative practice. Everyone brings who they are in the moment, and something new is born. And it, it sets up, a, I call it a kind of energy room. We come into this room and the field of the practice creates a surround and that we are in it 
and we are of it and we are contributing to it. And um, it makes anyone who's new to the practice understand on a vibrational level in their being what this is all about. It's like, oh, wow, I felt something new. I had my consciousness was held in a new focus, a new perspective that I never knew before. Sort of like trying to teach somebody, tell somebody about a new color. Well, I invented this new color. It's sort of like blue, but it's kind of also like yellow. Well, that's green, isn't it? Because <laughs> 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 they've never seen green before. They, you, you, and then you showed them some green, and they're like, oh, okay, now I get it. It's kind of blue, and it's kind of yellow, and it's this new thing. I, the power of the breath is, like, sensational. I use it a lot when I'm feeling quite anxious or I recognize some unwanted thoughts or emotion building up within me. And sometimes I feel like I'm surrendering to the breath and the feeling that's coming once I start doing it. I have a few different uh, go-to breath uh, techniques, I guess you could call them. Um, one of them is the Wim Hof breathing technique which is like a sort of deep respiratory breath holding exercise effectively. I'm sure you've heard of Wim Hof, the ice shaman, they call him. Plus there's also one called a four, seven, eight technique, um, which is just holding your breath, um, inhaling for four seconds, holding it for seven and exhaling for eight. Um, and it instantly transforms your state of consciousness. And I don't know how it does that. And I don't know what it is with just breathing and especially breathing through your nose, which I'm told is far better for us to do that. Do you know why that is? Well, physiologically, when you close your mouth and breathe in through your nose, you can feel that the air that's coming in is cool. And when you breathe out through your nose, the air is warm. Hmm. So there's a, there's a temperature gradient. That changes, but also inside the sinus cavities, there are um, fleshy pads of uh, material that are called turbinates. And what happens when you breathe in through your nose is that those turbinates, these fleshy protuberances inside the sinuses, spin the air into little eddies, little currents of air. And these turbinates and these spins of air are unique to you. These are just you. So the air itself flows in, spins around, and goes down into the lungs. And so it seems that there is a kind of unique signature of nostril breathing that you don't get through your mouth. Um, doesn't cool, doesn't warm the air nearly as well. It's a little more of a shock to the body to breathe in through the mouth than it is through the nose. But it's your way of interfacing directly with the environment and you do it all day, every day, asleep, awake, no matter what, you are still breathing. I think of it as a kind of sacred covenant that we have with reality. Our breath in is when our little tiny infant life starts and our last breath out is when our life ends in these bodies. And so the breath is the constant. And it is a very spiritual energy that flows in uh, when you are using the nostrils. Now, to speak to your 
uh, impression about the, the cadenced breath where you breathe into a certain count, pause for a certain amount, and then breathe out has an action of changing your oxygen-carbon dioxide balance in your body. Carbon dioxide is not just a waste product. It is an essential element to the way your body is either acidified or alkaline. And that balance in the bloodstream and how much carbon dioxide you have, um, it's one of the reasons that breath study is uh, kind of a closely guarded, not exactly a secret, but it is <laughs> practice that you should be very mindful about um, and never strain or struggle with any breath exercise to the point that you feel any kind of discomfort because you are changing your carbon dioxide and oxygen balance. And this is really essential to the proper functioning of your body. So that's one that's just on a physiological level, why that calming effect comes because you're, you're with those cadenced breaths, you are balancing your um, chemistry of your bloodstream. Mm. Do you know that, the the waste products produced by the body by and large are released out of the body through the breath the breath releases more waste products from your physical system than any other apparatus you have in your body i so, did not know that a good long fulfilling exhalation is really important oh yeah and it's one of the first things i teach to new students is you have to learn to breathe out if you're ever going to be able to properly breathe in. Where does the where does the practice go, Miriam? Like how how fun does this this game get? Because there are people out there who are sort of aware of of breathing techniques uh, to help them with uh, anxiety um, or maybe also anger or stress. Sure. Um, and like I said, it feels like such a god given tool to be able to do that or just realizing it and it, like having, having the ability to do it just seems so healing in that moment. But like you were saying before about recognizing those patterns and getting uh, creating a little bit of space between them so you could eventually identify them and then hopefully eradicate them or at least, you know, know them inside out. But what about people who are sort of, struggling a bit with their practice and they're using these techniques to sort of get them out of a sticky situation like an emotional situation or um is there a way to go to the next level because the way you speak of it um sounds great because it's like you've taken things to another level that like you've eradicated it i mean there's people that take your class so they certainly look up to you and they want to learn from you um I think you're a teacher. I've looked at your stuff on the internet and stuff, and I consider you to be a teacher. So what do you have any advice for people that might be in that situation to take things to the next level? Because again, I've rambled on, but to make it very, very simple, how do you stop using these techniques to get you out of the shit as opposed to start working to completely eradicate it? That's a really fine question. So the way that I teach breath practice is a kind of cumulative study. In the beginning, the practice is to become aware of your own breath 
in varieties of situations. If you, if you have anxiety, it's very likely your breath pattern is somewhat disturbed. And I've published some material about this and, and it's available pretty widely. Um, but becoming aware of how you breathe in different situations. If you're dancing, you need a different kind of breath than if you're sitting and quietly reading. So if you're quietly reading and you're breathing as though you're dancing, then your breath is out of cadence with your life. And these inquiries are the beginning of becoming aware of the breath. And, and one should always start there because trying to create the changes, forcing changes by doing advanced breath practices when you haven't done basic inquiry and settled your own breath is, is not advisable. So you really do have to start at the beginning. So if you look at my podcast, Miriam's Meditations, you'll see that I have, I have four seasons published so far. And in the beginning, we did exactly that. Season one, we did breath inquiry. Season two, we did a group of exercises called the Sounds That Heal. Now, the Sounds That Heal are seed mantras that are just simple sounds that are made that create a kind of vibration in the body to release grief from the lungs or anger from the liver or fear from the kidneys. And you do these sounds in conjunction with other supportive breath techniques. And what you find is you start to really clear the emotional body and you have less anxiety, you have less fear, you have less anger because you're practicing. Now, in the process of doing the practice, things will come up for you. I found that when we got to the mantra for anger that I really did not have a good handle on what anger felt like because in the household I grew up with, there were a lot of angry people. Hmm. And my job was to be a really good person and help and um, not make any waves. <laughs> not, anger was not an emotion I really allowed myself when I first began my practice. And so when we learned the sound for anger, I think it was anger, angry for a whole month. It was just angry about everything. I'm like, wow, I have a lot of anger that I have not ever expressed. I never felt safe enough to just be you, This happened to you when you were going through the inquiry? Yeah. Yeah. When I, when I first learned back in the late 90s or mid-90s, when I first learned these sounds that heal, I realized that I had no real... Uh, I just had not allowed myself to be angry. To me, it was a thing that you just didn't do. It was dangerous. It was unsavory. Mm. One just does not be angry. And yet it's a natural part of life when someone violates your boundaries or causes yep. you pain or harm in some way. You injustice. Right. Injustice. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, yeah. you can feel angry on behalf of others, on behalf of the planet. Why? Yeah. How dare you? <laughs> exactly. So, uh, but for me in that, and I was in my mid thirties then, that was a long period of life to live without really having any correspondence with the field of anger. And it did not take very long for me to understand that I had not allowed myself the the privilege of being angry when I was wronged or felt felt the anger come up, and um, I had quite a lot of it in my in my physical being that needed to clear, and so I just did the breaths, and I felt the anger and it cleared and went on, and I did the breaths and I felt the anger and it went on, and 
eventually it calmed down and I changed my language. I changed how I talked about the world. I, I understood more clearly what anger was useful for mm. and when I felt angry. And it just, now I didn't have this backlog of anger that I dragged around with me like a bag of rocks, you know? So I was not, if I got angry with you, it was because of something that happened today, not something that happened to me when I was a kid. And I didn't feel like I had safe space to be angry. That cleared. So it was the it made it clear. I had done this. I had done the talk therapy. I had talked about this. I knew what my issues were, mm. but yet I still had the residue in my being because I really wasn't allowing myself to be an angry person from time to time. So you're sat with a therapist, or uh, sure. if, if I may, yeah. and multiple therapists. Multiple therapists. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the irony is, many of those therapists have probably also got pent up energy fields which have sure. not been addressed and all that sort of stuff because their uh, area of attention and logic and rational thinking doesn't point them to think about the sort of stuff that you and me are talking about right now because i don't know it's just not at the forefront of of, of what is in of what creates a healthy and happy human so that's just western thinking it's just western thought and and it is I've come to realize through this process over all these years of this practice that mental, I, I'm a very mental person. I, I like thinking. I'm, I'm, uh, I like to read. I like to think about things. And I realized that there is also a heart's wisdom. And one of the practices that we do in the breath practice that I teach is a heart-mind uniting breath that brings the breath into the third eye and drops it into the heart and surrenders the mind to the field of the heart the heart if you t you can you can measure the resonance of the heart electronically electrically several feet away from the body it is the strongest electrical current that the body creates is from your heart not your head whoa right right that's so cool man <laughs> so if you you can use your focus draw the breath into the third eye and let it just surrender to the heart and the, up to the mind and then surrender again to the heart so that, that by doing this practice over and over again for so many years, I've come to realize that thinking about things and sorting it out with my brain was where I felt safe and functional and it worked really well for me for a really long time. But as I did this practice, I realized that I was no longer really able to find the heart's wisdom as I might have done as a child or a much younger person and mm. how much richness there was there for me and what it felt like to move through the world with a soft and open heart, that it's not terrifying. It's available. I'm available to life when I have access to my heart's wisdom. Also, did you know that your heart has as many neuronal cells as it has muscle cells, that it is actually a brain in your heart. Is I a brain did not. There? No, I am. I'm, I'm not aware of that at all. So, what does that mean? That means that 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 heart wisdom and that heart perspective that often gets short shrift in our society because we think that rational thinking is the end all be all to finding answers to things. At this day and age, yeah. 
that our hearts are just waiting there with all of this knowledge and wisdom and deeper flows that have nothing to do with A plus B equals C. It's a very different kind of calculus altogether. Mm. Well, how does it feel? How does it feel when I imagine this path that I might want to take? How does it feel when I imagine that path that I might want to take? So you can think about it. Sure, that's great. It's not that the brain is bad or that thinking is wrong. It's wonderful. Thinking is great. It's lots of fun. But also moving through the world with a heart-centered focus in a kind of balance. Now, now you're a whole. Now you can move through the world as a heart-mind collaborative wholeness. You have all of your faculties. You have all of your, the richness of your being at your disposal. Mm. You're not ignoring a huge part of your original equipment. We're, we're equipped with these hearts when we are born. This is a part of our original matrix. And for me, being able to move through the world with this wholeness, much more effective, much better at pattern recognition in the world, much better at not creating new crises for myself, much better at solving problems from many levels. What modality is useful today? Well, I might be a little more heart-centered today. This seems like this is going to be a little more effective and moving through this, whatever it is, is, is available to me today. Or, oh, I, I, thoughts, you know, using my brain, but being able to move from one to the other because I have now experience on all these levels. And the most rich part for me is being able to do it from a very whole perspective. It's kind of created a whole new way of being in the world. That's not one or the other. It's non-dual. It's this openness to everything as a whole being and that was the richness that the practice brought me to eventually mm. when i cleared I've, i balanced my breath i cleared my emotional body i settled my mental body and now wow there is this whole new way to be in the world that i didn't even know was, was possible or available and it just keeps getting better and better over time and it's not to say that my life does not have problems it definitely has problems. I definitely have challenges and stimulus. We need stimulus to grow. We need stimulus to evolve. My life is full of stimulus. <laughs> yet I don't I'm not overwhelmed by it. I have I have tools. I have skills. I can approach it from deep inside my meditation and then bring it out into the world, have these experiences. And um, the outworking is far superior to anything I could have done before wow another thing i was going to ask you was about your relationship with compassion for others one of the things that i find when i'm doing a meditation practice is i'm sat there and obviously i go through the normal motions where you know i think oh, okay i'm sat here i'm going to try and attain some sort of bliss you know i'm overthinking um, thinking, oh, I'm doing this and I'm going to achieve this level of spirituality and I'm going to try to impress people. Like, I'm trying to advance, I'm trying to progress. Then, of course, all of that leaves my brain and I recognize all of that as just a thought process. And then I start to focus a little bit more. And then I realize once I come out of it and I've been practicing for a period of time, it's almost like the effect of it shows itself in everyday life. Because whatever the meditative field is or space is, 
it's so it seems to be so alien from our everyday lives that it's almost like it can't be merged like so i um, i don't know how you merge that meditative space with everyday life i don't know if you're aware of things like karmic yoga which is trying to introduce spiritual acts into everything that you do whether it's cutting the onions or mowing the grass or interacting with someone outside in the world but it's along those lines like you're trying to bring your practice into everything like one of the cool things that happens is you you seem to be a lot more comfortable with compassion towards other people like when you're sat trying to meditate and you're watching your breath you get used to being in the moment with other people like so you can because you're used to sat by yourself and a lot of weird stuff comes up stuff that you thought had been buried and it was deep 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 buried and then it comes bubbling up because you know when you're in your when you're in your everyday life your mind's in the driving seat and it's got all this stuff going on it's just trying to survive it's trying to function it's trying to get you through the day blocking things which it kind of knows isn't going to cause an issue for you so it's just kind of this wild machine which is out of control when you do have a practice and you talk and you interact with people in everyday life and stuff like that's one of the things that's been a, um, a huge benefit to me because I don't know, you seem to see people differently. If you're really, really focusing with someone in the moment, you see you see them differently. Do you know what I mean? I do. I, I know what you mean. And it's it's a lovely inquiry. It's um, when you are practice when you have a practice, whatever that practice is, a spiritual practice that brings you into deep communion with your own being, it changes you. And so when you are out in the world, you're able to perceive different frequencies from others. You can understand more on a, on a mental level that all of us have challenges. We've all been in pain. We've all suffered and struggled. And it, a natural compassion arises from that shared humanity, that shared experience of being human. And when you have that when you have that compassion first for yourself and your own failings and foibles you know that you are a human being in a lifetime doing the best you can and you have a kind of tenderness toward yourself and you practice that regularly you're not harsh with yourself you treat yourself very kindly as though you would your best friend or a dear a dear loved one of any kind and that is a natural compassion arises for all other people. And you are less likely to snap judge somebody's actions based on a single interaction. You can understand there's almost certainly a backstory of some kind that has caused that, um, that person to behave in that way. Mm. So um, that is a wonderful aspect of practice. It does make you, uh, less likely to be uh, judgmental of others and and to act upon that natural compassion. And I want to say something about bringing meditative practice into daily life. Yeah, please. In the beginning, in the beginning it was a kind of striated experience. And what I mean by that is that I have my ordinary life and I sit and I have my breath practice and meditation and they seem to be two very different things two very different fields of energy mm. that my ordinary life has a certain kind of energetic tone 
And then my meditation practice has a different, higher, pure, finer tone. And the truth that I've discovered is that it is just a continuum. It is not uh, it is not striated in that way, quite the way that we make it happen, because meditation generally happens, you're still, you're sitting, your eyes are closed, or you're doing a walking meditation, but you are, you are doing just that. You're only meditating, and you have... Um, created a scenario where that that can be happening. Whereas in ordinary reality, you are out there interacting, you're driving your car or you're on the bus or you're, you're out there with humanity, you're having interactions with others. So I found that over time, though, that that expansiveness and that generosity of spirit that is that natural compassion becomes my set point. And so that even though I am interacting with the world instead of sitting in my meditative uh, cushion, that the continuum of consciousness is accessible to me at all times. And I can go deeper or have a more um, surface level interaction with the world, depending on where I place my focus. I become at choice about that. It's not thrust upon me. And I begin to realize that it's all consciousness. And what I'm choosing to perceive has an effect on what is drawn to me. And from this deeper place, I realize I'm living from the inside out. I'm not just reacting to the world. I am co-creating the world from this deeper stance because of my long history of practice and sitting with myself and understanding my own field of consciousness, but to see it as this sort of spanning back and forth, higher consciousness, ordinary consciousness. And the words are a little clunky. It's not really as though higher is better and ordinary is less than. It's really not that. It's all your spectrum of consciousness. And um, over time, and it may happen very quickly for you, hmm. uh, it's, it's certainly within the poss- realm of possibilities that you could have an epiphany and go, oh, it's, there's, it's really not dual. It's really not a layers of consciousness. Mm. It is this fluid um, way that I can place my perspective and focus. I am at choice as to how this is going to be. Yeah. You know, one question that always arises in my mind when meditating is what does consciousness want? I don't know why that question always comes to the forefront. Like, I don't know if I'm subconsciously thinking about consciousness as an in, as an entity as an entity or as a phenomenon. But it seems like there's some sort of I can't help but think there's some sort of it's almost like a sentient or something. Like it's it's aware. It's 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 temporarily dispersed here in the human vehicle for a period of time and. Yes, it's physical, and uh, yes, it's in this form, but I think that it originates from something that is far greater, probably something that's a bit beyond our comprehension, maybe for the for good reasons also. But did you ever have any deep thoughts like that when you're in your meditation practice? I mean, the breathwork stuff is essential, it's an essential tool to aid and assist our meditative practice and also get us through the the, the trenches of modern day adult life especially these days but do, when you're actually deep in meditation what sort of 
um, well, it sounds a bit stupid to say thoughts, but <laughs> what sort of things do you contemplate? Where do you go? Hmm. Wow. Interesting. Well, I found myself contemplating your question. I, as you, feel that there is a deeper source, uh, vastness from which this world that we are interacting with springs. And my, my thoughts on that would be that it wants stimulation and evolution and that everything is constantly moving. It is all flow and fluidity is far less solid than we have um, perceived it to be. Yeah. And so for me, when I get really uh, into the deepest spaces of my consciousness and interaction with whatever that vastness is, we can call it all that is, um, that maintaining a kind of um, perspective stance in the, all of that fluidity and how is it that we manage to maintain a conscious focus following one flow following another flow mm. what is what what sort of flows are there um some of the explorations i've done recently are things like following a flow of harmony and what does that entail how does it feel how does it manifest when I come back into my ordinary world, how does the harmony manifest? Can I place harmony here or there? I did a long inquiry on beauty. Why is beauty? This is one of the things I think about. Why is there beauty in the world? What would a world be like that is devoid of beauty? Mm. And my inquiry led me to look at the tiniest itty bitty little things that no human ever really stops to look at. Seeds of grass tiny little bugs, little bitty pebbles, sand on the beach. You know, there are these, there's, there, our world is beautiful down to the quantum level. There is nowhere that beauty is not. And so that, those are the, those are the kinds of things I think about. Yeah. And it flows that I follow inside my consciousness. And I really like resting on beauty because it has an eloquence and it is an inherent quality of our universe. And I find that if I rest with beauty, I'm always led to something really wonderful and um, a really lovely place to rest my consciousness. And I come out of my meditation refreshed. Yeah. There's a kind of that, that comes when you meditate upon qualities like beauty or harmony or peace. Yeah. So it's not, it's not always about like eradicating thinking completely like it's okay to uh, fo focus on on one particular thing like you were saying beauty there absolutely I, for me that's a kind of a misperception about meditation that so in the beginning I tell my meditation students to get a pen and a piece of paper and put it by their meditation cushion because when they stop moving their ordinary mind is going to have a whole lot of important things that it needs to tell them. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. And if you don't write them down, you're going to keep thinking about them and you're never going to really achieve a meditative state. Exactly, so yeah. just, let it, just let it dump. It's clear, it's clear in the archives, isn't it, when you start? You know, well, we, we're busy, you know, and there's things that – and some of this stuff's really important. And so 
if as you were approaching a deeper and deeper meditative state, that important thing that you really don't want to forget, you didn't write it down, it's going to keep circling around in your consciousness because it is important. Yeah. And I would find that if I wrote it down, I could just let it go. And I'm like, okay, I know I wrote that down. I don't have to think about that right now. And I can set it aside. That's ordinary consciousness. Yeah. Next level is a higher thought, a higher personality level of consciousness. And from there, there are deeper flows that relate to issues, beliefs, um, important life decisions, where am I in my journey, that sort of yeah. stuff. Also worthy of being written down. I just want to point that out because yeah. once you've cleared the grocery lists and, you know, I have to go pick this thing up and that sort of stuff, there is this other layer of ordinary reality that's super important and your personality may be trying to get through you and writing it down really helps. So what happens when your students have written down the uh, data dumps that happen when someone is just like entering the meditation practice? Is this is this uh, uh, newbies, like novices, or is this people that have been practicing for? Oh no, I I think this I think it's a useful practice no matter how skilled you are at meditation. Really, I, maybe at, at your life gets really clear and really quiet. You don't have a whole lot of things going on, but I still it's still useful to me. I still I still write sometimes from deep inside my meditation practice. I will open one eye and scribble a few words and then go back in because I don't want to lose those inspirational moments that come from that deeper uh, quality of meditative practice. And so there is a quiet place. I do want to, I, I want to emphasize that you have the data dump, your ordinary stuff, you mm -hmm. have the next level of personality or your issues you might be working on or thinking through. Now that's clear. Now there is a quiet space and there is a, there is a kind of, uh, waiting there at the doorway for something. But what I have found is that beyond that void, you can call it, some people call it a void, your objective is not to rest in nothingness. Your objective is to go where your consciousness can take you. There are <laughs> far more interesting wow. things in the void. There's all kinds of stuff on the other side of that. So if you can get to that quietude and let yourself rest in that, that's interesting. So your your goal is not to rest in the void. Your goal is to take, go as far as your consciousness can take you. Well, that's my goal. <laughs> no, I'm taking that. <laughs> What's your goal, Adam? Um, <clears throat> you can use that one. That's a good goal. But, but for most people who decide a meditation practice is not for them, it's because they got to the void and it was kind of boring. And they thought, wow, this is really not much happening here. And I don't know if I can just hang out here. Yeah, yeah that I can relate to. I think I, I think I first got into it just because I was sick and tired of my mind being in the driving seat, yeah, you know, yeah, and it was yeah. it for me, it was it was a de-stress tool. Doing that yeah. was for de it was purely for de-stressing and the the breathing exercise was de-stressing. And I had anger issues, which morphed into like stress because I was trying to force myself to stop being angry because of like you were saying earlier before like i felt that that was just something i was born with but that's that's western thinking in the east they would never think like that they would just say that that's a quality that just needs to be worked on you know just like compassion is a thing that can be trained you know it's not something it, it, yes yes it is it is like a muscle you can learn to uh, exercise that muscle and it gets stronger and it becomes more prevalent in your consciousness yeah. and um so the 
the quiet the quiet is lovely i'm not saying that it, it's not a wonderful peaceful place to be and 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 there are many layers to where human consciousness can go and once you are skilled at that quietness and settling your ordinary mind and uh, finding that peaceful mode now you can look for inner guidance what else is there there's an infinite range of experiential places and spaces that one can go and some of it does have some higher thought evolving with it uh, some of it's purely felt sense sometimes i i've learned over time to have more visuals uh, following with my imagination, oh, what was that? Well, I'm just going to sit here and see if something develops out of that stimulus that just came up into my consciousness. And oftentimes it does. There's something really wonderful there. There's an energy I can follow. There's maybe a presence of some kind of um, energy form that I can have an experience with. Um, sometimes I just feel things. I can feel the energy flowing in, in such and such a way. Um, so there's there's quite a lot, <laughs> quite a lot. Yeah, Ruben, we've done an hour already. I don't know where the time yeah. has gone. You seem to have some sort of power to make time really speed up because it doesn't feel like an hour. <laughs> well, it was a really lovely conversation, Adam, and I really found your questions and your inquisitiveness about all of this very insightful. And I don't know that I would qualify you as a, as a super beginner. I'd say you're advanced. Beginner. Oh, I don't know about that. Can you see my head from America? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's a beginner's mind is always a useful concept. It does not really serve us to think our cup is all, always full. It's really important yeah. to keep emptying the cup and coming back to the beginner's stance. And I find that's very humbling and, and it's really uh, very useful and making space, mm. like emptying the breath, going back to our breath conversation, emptying the breath to make room for the new breath to come in. Yeah, yeah. Inhale with yeah. peace, exhale with stress. Yes, right. Bless you. Thank you so much for your time. I'm sure people that will listen to this will have learned something because I think people like you are also really, really important in the world because we need teachers. We need people who talk with so much confidence it seemed to have a bit more of a better grip on it you know like the way you describe it is similar to the rest of us in the sense that it's so indescribable and unattainable in a sense which is also part of the beauty but then it's nice to just have little pushes and nudges you know in certain directions because then sharing with each other and, and reflecting each other's experience because when we talk about it what some people may find is they have an inkling of what I'm speaking about and they say to themselves, yes, I, I, I know what she's talking about. I have, I have had something similar in my experience and it codifies it for each of us. And we, we walk a little more confidently into our meditation experience because we realize it's real. We, we are having real experiences and they matter. They do. And I'm going to meditate right now after this Alrighty. podcast. And, you know, if it wasn't for you, I'd be sat in that void thinking, oh, cool, I'm here. But now I've... <laughs> like, you know, there's more. There's more. And I do need to keep going there's with that. More. So, more. so bless you. This was that. a real delight. I really enjoyed our conversation tremendously. Oh, thank, thank you. So it'll be a pleasure to have you back on again one day. Thank you. Anytime. Give me a shout. Awesome. Thank you, Miriam. Take care. There you go. That was the wonderful interdimensional spiritual prism that was Miriam Trahan I mean gosh what a powerful woman I feel cleansed just having been in her presence when she's not 
residing in nothingness, exploring the potentiality of her own consciousness, she's over in Maui, in Hawaii, which is probably the next coolest, most relaxing place on planet Earth. Guys, if you want to learn more about Miriam and connect with her, and I don't see why you wouldn't, head over to her website. It's miriamsmeditations.com. And she's cool enough to spell her name with two I's. So it's M-I-R-I-A-M-S meditations.com. Guys, thanks for listening this far. It means a lot to me. We'll see you next week with an incredible podcast with Jake Hudson. See you next week. Bye.